So Fonda, <laughs> how is Andrew doing? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Andrew looks like he's in pain. He has cheese sauce in his eye. I don't get it. Hello. Hello, everyone. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in Edmonton. I'm Paul. And I'm Fonda. And we are part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Yeah, and coffee and other things in our in our bodies that are fuel. Yes. <laughs> what did we see uh, this week, Fonda? What's on the docket? Well, um, I saw a really interesting uh, two-hander play called Poison right. uh, as part of the Roxy Performance Series. Cool. Um, and then you saw something pretty special, Paul. I, I did. I saw Alberta Ballet's Cinderella. Well, how about we how about we chat about that first? I'm sad to have missed that one. Sure, yeah. Um. So yeah. Well, I mean, what were your what were your initial thoughts? What how what was the show like to begin with? Let's get into it. Yeah. Um. So, uh, this is apparently the first like original ballet that Alberta Ballet's done in about ten years. Original family ballet. I should I should be clear. Um. Uh. Yeah. So. Uh. You know, it's it's the story of Cinderella. Uh, it is uh, the timeless classic as interpreted in, in dance and, and ballet. Uh, and it seemed like in this time around, in this configuration, they really wanted to, to emphasize um, some of the visuals, certainly. Uh, it had a lot of spectacle in, in its set and in sort of some of the uh, work. It was the, uh, an original work by Christopher Anderson, was the choreographer. Uh, on that show, and uh, yeah, the the sets uh, were all borrowed from the Cincinnati Ballet. Uh, so so they had some a lot of a lot of spectacle was was a, a part of it. Those are my initial reactions. Were a big spectacle, oh, cool. and also they were really uh, amping up the funny. They were they were uh, really playing up the stepsisters as <laughs> as vehicles of comedy. Uh, for this otherwise, this story of you know the 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 person who's not given their their due uh, gets the fairy godmother uh, on on their case and on their side, and then because they we get there's this scene early on where. Uh, uh, I don't know if this happens in every version of Cinderella, but where the shrouded old figure comes to the door begging, you know, and everyone dismisses them except Cinderella, who goes and gets a loaf of bread and brings it over, and which was some nice, you know, reasoning for why Cinderella gets this uh, to show her goodness, yeah, her innate goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where everyone else, you know, shoes the this this crone-like figure away, who of course turns out to be the fairy godmother who who makes dreams come true. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, it was a big cast. They had some of the young company as well to sort of fill out. The fairy godmother had uh, minions, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> uh, other Other fairies uh, who would sort of uh, coordinate and dance. And, yeah, the visual element of this show was really strong, uh, especially because it's told in pantomime, more or less. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some of the, the more difficult thoughts had sometimes interesting uh Ways of of showing them. So, for example, uh, the you have to be back before midnight. Uh, caveat on on this on this dance and this spell uh, uh, was shown by a bunch of the young company, the fairy minions, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, running through with sticks with numbers on them that were glowing. So one, <laughs> two, twelve. 
<laughs> and then, you know, when 12 came out, 12 sort of hopped urgently, a little more urgently and a little longer than the rest. And, you know, some ominous stones came into the music. And it was like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, okay, great. And it was like, you have to be back by the hopping 12. <laughs> by the hopping 12. Be here by the hopping 12. Um, you mentioned some of the humor with the stepsisters. Can you tell me a little bit more about those characters and, sure. and how those were illustrated? So the the stepsisters were played by two male members of the company who on the performance I saw were played by Zachary Dunn and Christopher Scruggs. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, yeah, and and just a lot of uh, a lot of big character choice, you know, and how they would bicker amongst themselves, and you know, the the physical aspect of them doing their dances. There's sort of a big ballroom scene before Cinderella wins over the prince, uh, where everyone is sort of showing their moves to try and woo the prince, and they have you know a very a very comic turn in what their dance moves are, and and mm-hmm. I imagine it would be fun to sort of get to do like a, a cheekier, sort of more parodic take on on ballet mm-hmm. uh, in that role uh, and in the in those bits. That's kind of an interesting choice because I guess thinking back on a, a lot of the kind of like classical pantomime, I guess sort of family friendly ballets mm-hmm. that we that we see. Um, Cinderella is one of the only ones where there really aren't any other male characters other than the prince. Um, so mm-hmm. kind of interesting to have the the stepsisters played by by men. Yeah, yeah, in, in the company. And there was one uh, one figure who I'm not sort of familiar with in the Cinderella story who was part of the family, it seemed, or visiting the family. The stepmother uh, was sort of hosting this sort of like uh, this like well-dressed gentleman who was around. I'm not quite sure if he was a fatherly figure, but he was just sort of present mm. uh, and and pleasant and, you know. Didn't didn't do much. If there was one thing with this case uh, and the showing, like the stepmother really, really seemed like actually a pretty a pretty okay figure, more or less. Mm-hmm. Didn't bring Cinderella to the ball, but like wasn't as overtly um, cruel or equally as sort of cruel or comical as the as the sisters. The spotlight in this version was definitely given to them as sort of the for the force of of comic and foil and and villainy. I guess mm-hmm. it's kind of yeah dealing with these stories, these sort of classical fairy tales. Um, it's one of the questions that we're coming up with more and more is: Are these tales, especially how gendered they are, really relevant to? Um, new, new and young audiences now. Um, mm-hmm. Did they? In, were there other ways that they updated the story, or about how, what happens? You know, um, or does Cinderella seem to have any more license in the end? <laughs> uh, they really seem to emphasize Cinderella as like a dreamer. I would say, uh, reading some of the program notes, that was sort of one of the big, uh, the big pushes. Like Cinderella, Cinderella's doing Cinderella. Cinderella is getting by in in her way. Like she's, you know, she's definitely sort of being taken advantage of by the rest of her family. Uh, but she she doesn't seem like a like a, a pitiful character at the start, and sometimes that's how it's portrayed. It's this journey from sort of this this forgotten sort of woeful figure to to you know this uh, this incredible transformation. Uh, in this case, Cinderella. This is always sort of in in Cinderella. She's always dreaming. She's sort of there are moments before the dance where she sort of dances by herself and uh, and is just sort of showing that you know this the spirit's in her the the whole time. And then it's just the the permission to enter the 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 classist society of Cinderella's time and get a, get an invitation to the dance uh, oh, and be there in the, in the robes <laughs> that is that. But other than that, it was pretty much of the the era when you typically think of Cinderella. Mm. A totally an aside thought uh, I had while watching this was: is the name Cinderella because it was like Cinderella? You know, because she would sweep cinders and then it was sort of over time became one word. This is neither here nor there. It is. Yeah, actually, it is. That that is the etymology of the name Cinderella oh. is from like the cinders and ashes that she used to sweep by mm-hmm. the fire. And, and I don't know how um, 
it went straight from that into Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if it was a Charles Perrault uh, fairy tale, as I think it was, could just be riffing on nothing here. But um, from the French, you know, um, Cinderella. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ella she, right? So why not? Right. I think that's probably what it is. I did take children's literature in nice. university. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so other than that, it was sort of, there was a big family-friendly spectacle. The, you know, the horse-drawn carriage actually came out and it was sort of, you know, for, uh, you know, for human legs under these big sort of horse constructs <laughs> pulling this thing for real. Uh, there was a lot of glitter at the end um, being thrown. Uh, the visuals obviously had a, had a huge part to do with it. How did they do the glass slipper? Uh, ooh, so uh, glowing slipper. Uh, glowing slipper revealed and then uh, she leaves it and then uh, this was an interesting thing because I guess it's like getting that dance shoe on and then doing a final dance maybe isn't so um, conducive to being able to do a final dance in a shoe you don't have time to time up or tie up because of the staging of a show Yeah. so when the prince comes a knocking uh, the stepsisters try on the shoe comedy ensues uh, but then uh, Cinderella just pulls out the spare the one that uh, Cinderella still had and they sort of matched them up and then you know her and the prince go off stage and she comes back in, in full costume mm-hmm. so glowing sort of golden shoe uh, and then the reveal of it later was sort of like a stagecraft like oh well we this is the way we can show this story in with these shoes and the, the nuances of getting in and out of these shoes nice mm-hmm. nice glowing so like was it like glow paint or like I don't know oh cool well that's interesting yeah yeah mm-hmm. it was uh, but you know shiny Golden, gold hued, um, the spectacle, you know, match the spectacle of the rest of uh, her transformative costume and the spectacle of the show itself. Super. Like all glitter bomb Cinderella. Yeah, absolutely. So that was that was Cinderella. It was pretty good. I had a I had a good time. Good Saturday afternoon that's, at the ballet. That's a way to do it. <laughs> Loving um, it. Great. Uh, so before we get into the next thing, Fonda, perhaps it's time for an ad. The ATB branch for arts and culture is a clubhouse, arts venue, and financial institution for Albertan creatives and cultural workers. Members have access to industry-specific banking services and career development resources designed to help creators do their very best work. They understand the challenges that artists face because they are artists too. To learn more or to sign up today, visit the branch in Edmonton at the CKUE building on Jasper Ave or read all about it at atb.com. That was a cool ad. So, uh, so what did you see, Fonda? Let's let's get a, let's start talking about poison. Yeah. So, um, I roped in our sometime guest reviewer Laura Ravu, mm-hmm. um, and we saw poison at the um, at, at the Roxy on Gateway as part of the Roxy Performance Series, uh, done by a company called Wildside Productions. Um, we uh, we had a very nice time, um, and I'll, I'll let you listen to that now. <laughs> Okay, so hi, I'm here with Laura Rabu. We've uh, we're we're gonna do a quick hot take on a lovely little play we saw called Poison, being presented as part of the Roxy Performance Series at uh, at Theater Network. It's um, by a production company called Wildside Productions. I haven't really seen anything of theirs before, um, but they've been around for a little bit. So hey, hey, Laura, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Fonda? <laughs> Pretty good. I don't awesome. know. The the play ended on such a soft sad i don't know i mean it, it deals with a lot of well it deals with the the death of a child that's not really a secret it's a couple yeah. that meet reunite after a number of years and they're kind of going through 
um, you know, some, something has come up in, in the course of, in the course of things and they have to talk again. They haven't seen each other in a really long time. And so it's, um, it's a lot of processing. It's a real slow burn. This play definitely is. I read a Globe and Mail review before we came that said, uh, it's like part of a slow theater movement, which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> like <laughs> kind of like how in the Netherlands, they, I don't know if it's the Netherlands, but one of the, one of the Scandinavian countries, they have like the slow TV movement where it's just kind oh. of like, watching someone fishing or like weaving or you know yeah. and it's just kind of like it's real like you know it 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 builds but it builds really slowly and it's just a very it's a very human pace actually for for things to occur and i felt that the dialogue in the show felt that way they 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 did get into heated moments and they and they did kind of um escalate with each other but it was at a really really organic pace yeah, it was very beautifully crafted, and there was a very fine attention to detail, which I always appreciate, um, in terms of just, like, the clarity. I felt like it was really clear. Like, I felt like every every image, um, every look, every intention was just gently, delicately, and precisely crafted, and I really appreciated it. I appreciate the craftsmanship in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that was, that was one of the things that I noticed too, the, even just a glance, like a side glance right at the end, the, um, the two performers in the show are Nathan Cucko and Amber Baratzik. Their characters mm-hmm. are named he and she. Um, so, you know, kind of a universal, it could be any couple after, after tragedy, right? Um, and they're, um, you know, she she just kind of does this crossover behind him, and he's looking out into the audience, and she just looks at his back for a minute, like just a second, and it just is. It has so much weight in it. Mm-hmm. Um, the performers, um, particularly Amber Baratic, has it has a very strong physicality. Yeah. So any any tiny gesture just feels like fused with meaning. Yeah. <laughs> she unzipped her coat at one point, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> was like so Whoa, that was big. That yeah. was a big movement. <laughs> yeah. uh, there was, and there was a uh, one thing that kind of like sort of irked me, just a tiny little bit. Um, and I know why it was done, though. I could see in the script exactly why it happened, but because they're meeting, um, they're, they're meeting in a in a graveyard or a, the offices of a graveyard. So there's yeah. you know like a coffee maker and a water um, a water stand and stuff like that. Yeah. And uh, um, and they're they're waiting for some kind of meeting that's supposed to happen. And at one point, um, Nathan Kaka's character gets overwhelmed, and he or, or something happens, and his nose starts bleeding. And, uh, <laughs> and he's just kind of like, oh, do you have a Kleenex or something? And I'm like, you're in a graveyard office. Have you ever been in a funeral home or anything like that? Yeah. There's Kleenex freaking everywhere. Yeah, and there's no, there, she doesn't have Kleenex. She unzips both of her pockets and yeah. she pulls out a white mitten. Yeah. Like she pulls out one of her own mittens and gives it to him yeah. for his bleeding nose. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, I know exactly what that is. That's the mom instinct, right? You know, like, yeah. was that, was that what that meant to be in the show? But, um, yeah. And then afterward he finds a napkin on the coffee stand. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I was just like, you bloodied your mitt. And you know? <laughs> But, That's funny. <laughs> so, but 
even in those in those moments, you know, there's a deliberate build to the reason that yeah. that they did it that way. Of course, totally. right? I think it makes everyone in the audience like obsessive compulsive. Like you're like that chocolate is on an angle. Like you're you're watching everything so intently. A little bit, yeah. There was the coffee mug on the on the bench. So there's a bench in the middle of the stage, and there was a coffee mug on the like you know like the left quarter of it. Yeah. And the amount of times that they sat outside that coffee mug um, and like almost, almost brushed it over, you know, but yeah, it's just kind of like, there's so there's, yeah. it's such a minimalist thing that's happening on stage yeah. that you notice everything. Yeah. You get really hypersensitive to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. then you really feel when, you know, when someone starts getting upset, like yeah. it just, it just, it just, the room, the air just becomes dense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their relationship was really nicely developed. They had very many different like layers and stuff going on. It was great. Yeah. yeah. Felt the love between them a lot, um, which was cool. I think it's hard to play relationships with, with each other. Like you can't, you can't fake that kind of stuff. I don't know. Like there's, there was like a lot between them. That was really interesting and connection. Yeah. yeah, they had they had a like a palpable chemistry. Um, yeah, and I think yeah. you know, for as um, as as bare and, and sort of minimal as it was, it did feel like there was just so much to chew on. Like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. You know, you still like wanted to know more, even though they mm-hmm. they do over the course of I think you know about eighty minutes or so, they reveal a lot. Yeah. Um, but and and you know, you kind of like get to know more and more um, about how they're dealing with this tragedy, even you know nine or ten years uh, that it happened before. Um, yeah, and I, I think that it was, uh, the first parts kind of really showed, um, how, how she was struggling a lot. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, the, the emphasis on, on her character was really just kind of like that she's, she, it seems like she's in a rut. Yeah. Um, and she can't, she, she, she can't and, and doesn't seem like she really wants to move on. Um, but I mean, of course, you know, how, how do you move on from, from losing a child? Right? Totally, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. Without any spoilers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like, um, there's a, there's a journey in that character as well. That mm-hmm. was really amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that place of finding, finding hope, uh, in the nothingness and maybe it may not happen now, but it will reverberate later. Like you feel like something inside of this character has actually changed. Yeah. And I, I think what I really appreciated was, um, you kind of got to know how well they knew each other by how they sat in silence together. Mm -hmm. Um, there are these kind of long, I don't want, I don't want to say excruciating because they weren't excruciating, but these long sort of heavy silences that were really comfortable, Mm -hmm. you know, they just seemed like, and it's like the, it's you know the comfort that you develop over time when you know someone very well you can sit in silence together yeah um even though there's still so much hanging between them yeah so much resentment and you know and pain um but but yeah it was just it within the first five minutes of the show which are very silent mm-hmm. um they you kind of de- you develop this understanding of how actually um, easy it is for them to just sit with each other and not say anything. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of actually a part of, you know, why they haven't seen each other in nine years and like, it's gone this long. Um, but I, I sort I appreciated that, that they just really took their time establishing that physically between the characters. Yeah. That was really nice. What do you think about the transitions in the show or the way it was broken up? 
Um, so there's there's three distinct parts, yeah. and um, I think you know. I I said before that the timing felt really organic, but it's actually not a really realistic time and space for them to be in. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems that they're there for like a whole afternoon um, waiting for this meeting that doesn't actually ever end up happening. Um, So, you know, it's sort of a waiting for Godot almost. It is. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But, um, and and the transitions between... um, between the three parts, uh, you know, are just sort of like a like a soft, um, you know, the the lights go really kind of soft, and and there's just very slow movement with one of the characters left on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm not sure that I expected them to be done any other way, other than you know, like kind of like brown out on again. Yeah. Um, Gentle. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess it was cool that I just like yeah. I think it was cool how it was broken up. Yeah. Nicely into like little chunks, very yeah, nicely crafted. Yeah, it gave it, it it gave it a like sort of like a pace and some beats because yeah, I think particularly after the second, um, the the second part, you needed a little bit of a breath, mm-hmm. you know, you needed kind of like okay, let's just let's just take a second here, sit quietly, you know, and uh, Amber's character, yeah, she sits very quietly, you know, and. You're just kind of allowed to sit with it for a moment, and and that's um and you know kind of appreciate that actually. Just that like um, a lot of a, a lot of plays written in one act are just like boom all the way through. You know, like you get your your tight ninety or whatever, and 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 you just like it's relentless sometimes you want people want it seems that you know audiences or directors or playwrights even you know they want to push it through so that the pace never lets up so that you never feel that breath but I think in this case that breath was part of why the show was was easy to absorb even though Mm -hmm. it was dealing with something really heavy and really Mm -hmm. sad and kind of like very distant from my own experience of things. I still kind of, I still was able to just really sit with things for a while. Yeah. And, and that was nice. Yeah. But it was never, uh, it was always alive. It was always moving forward. Mm-hmm. Even the pauses and the silences. It was never dead or anything. Yeah. You were never left alone. Like yeah. the, there was someone always on stage who was still going through it. Like y- that you were still, that was still drawing mm-hmm. you with them. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, yeah. Very mature piece. Very simple. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, I feel kind of um I feel kind of bad because it, this episode is going to come out on the day that it closes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, it's it uh, again it's uh, it's called Poison part of the Roxy performance series. Uh the playwright is Lot Venkamens. Um I know when I mentioned it in the listings in our last episode I said he but Lot is actually a she. So sorry oh. about that. <laughs> Goes to I do not know Dutch names. <laughs> um, well, thanks, thanks for joining us, Laura. Um, thanks, Wanda. I always appreciate your insights on the on the stagey stuff. Thanks. That was a nice play. Cool. Great. Sounds like a show. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd encourage folks to go see it, except I think today is the last day. So. Great. Well, <laughs> if you saw it, then you know. And if you didn't, you don't. There you go. Well, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Paul, guess what? What? It's time for another ad. Oh, boy. <laughs> the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, is proud to be a sponsor of this year's Pod Summit, Western Canada's podcast conference, on May 5th at the CKUA building on Jasper Ave. 
It's a full day of learning and connection making. If you have a podcast, you'll learn how to make it sound great, grow your audience, and produce a show your listeners will love. If you don't have a podcast, you'll learn how to start one and get familiar with Alberta's podcasting community. Tickets are just $150, and they are limited, so don't delay. Get yours at podsummit.com. Woo! All right. Boom. Um, so there's a ton of stuff coming up. We're we're looking down like the very the last quarter of the season, really. Yeah, getting into it. Yeah. Um. So, uh, what do we have? What do we have coming up? I mean, there's still one Saturday left in March. That's right. And that is um. So yes, as the rest of March Saturdays have gone, that's going to be uh, Sphinxes shown by Rapid Fire Theater, seven thirty, at. Hall in the Citadel. And that is all of their um, female, trans, and non-binary performers in the company doing doing some improv about being not, not male. <laughs> totally. Uh, so then we have School for Scandal, uh, which is being presented by Studio Theater at uh, the University of Alberta's Tim's Center, March 29th to April 7th. Yeah, um, but Troffenheit is still coming up. Um, that's going to be uh, next weekend, over the Easter weekend, actually. Um, I feel like I've said that word, Betroffenheit, so many times over this season yep. that I feel like I could be like Oprah saying it like Betroffenheit, you know. Um, but yes, we're still doing a social media giveaway until this Wednesday for that show. So um, you can retweet one of our tweets or check out our Facebook page and get entered in the contest for that. Great. Yeah. And then after that, we have Cleave, which is being presented by Tiny Bear Jaws at the ATB Arts Barns Backstage from March 27th until April 7th. Yeah. Then there's a cool show called Undercover, which is being shown at the club at the Citadel Theater. That's with Rebecca Northen, um, who is an improviser. Uh, We know her most recently from the show... Blind date. Blind right. date, that's right. And this is sort of in a similar sense to that where she would take an audience member on on an improvised date. This is uh this is bringing in an audience member on stage to help solve a crime. Ooh. Then we have Going to St. Ives presented by the Varscona Theater Ensemble, uh, starring Belinda Cornish and Patricia Darbese and directed by Julian Arnold. That runs from April 5th until the 14th. And uh, finally, this week, we're going to list Slut, which is the new uh, Northern Light Theater show uh, by Brenda McFarlane. That's showing from April 6th to 14th at the ATB Arts Barns. Cool. That brings us up to date, I think, for now. At least till this weekend. Yeah, and how. (laughs) All right. Well, um, thanks a lot, Paul. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, Yeah, go, go see some shows. Yeah, thank you, Fonda. Bye. I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta, in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. Sit here, thank you. I love you.